This is good, Jared? All right. Good morning, everybody. It's my pleasure to read. Uh, nicely done. It's my pleasure to read. Uh, we're going to read from the word in John 16, 16 through 33. Follow along with me if you want to. I'm going to do my best to get through this. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father? So they were saying, What does it mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me again, and again in a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that the human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask a father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I come from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you, <clears throat> excuse me, you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you believe now? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. And you, and you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Good morning, you guys. I'm going to snag this table. Um, if we haven't met before, my name is Ben. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace City, and uh, I get to talk about the Word with you all this morning. Very excited. It's just good to be together, isn't it? I just, this morning I was sitting during prayer time, pre-service prayer time, and just like enjoying being here and paying attention to God's presence together. Um, it's just good, good to gather. It's good to pause. It's good to remember what's really important, what's really true. It's good to worship. It's worship team. Thank you for that awesome music this morning. Uh, Jared asked me during the three-minute break, he's like, are you ready to follow up that, three, or that epic worship set? I was like, I don't know, man. It was really good. It was good music. So thank you, guys. But it's just good to, um, to come together and recenter our focus on what's true, on what's, what's beautiful, what's real, what's lasting. And um, 
You know, I actually think Jesus is trying to do that for us in this passage. I think he's trying to do that for his disciples. These poor disciples, man, these, these poor guys, they have staked their life on this man. And they've followed him day after day, year after year, trying to learn to do the things he's doing, trying to learn what this kingdom of God mission is all about, waiting for the day when Jesus inaugurates that kingdom, like waiting for the day when he kind of ascends the throne as the Messiah and like sets up the kingdom of God on earth. And it's actually looking really promising because shortly before this, um, they have been with Jesus when he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. And the crowds of people were so excited to see this king coming into their city that they like lost their minds with joy, like lost their minds. They knew how risky it was to proclaim somebody as king when all the Roman centurions were all looking on. They knew how dangerous this was, but they couldn't contain it. And so we saw on the triumphal entry them just losing their minds with joy. Their king is coming. The time has come. The kingdom is here. It's being set up on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm sure his disciples are like, finally, We've been struggling and toiling and living off of the charity of other people, sleeping outdoors, struggling through this life, trying to just trust in Jesus and believe that he's going to do the things that he said he's going to do. And finally, it is happening. Jesus is becoming king. And then they go to this upper room in John 13, And Jesus starts to talk about loving one another, and they're like, yes, awesome, and tell us more about the kingdom. And he's like, well, I also want to talk to you about um, the Holy Spirit and about peace, and they're like, that's so good. Can you tell us more about the kingdom? And, And he's like, well, I want to talk to you about abiding in me and like communion with God, and they're like, yes, I'm so into that. Can we talk more about the kingdom? We just saw you ride into Jerusalem as king. Is it time? Is it happening? Like, Tell us how this is going to go down, Jesus. And then in chapter 16, Jesus starts to sort of make a little turn, and these poor guys must have been so bewildering. He starts to talk about leaving them, and he starts to talk about sorrow. He starts to talk about suffering, and he starts to talk about the world will hate you. And he doesn't say the world will hate you, but it's okay because I'm just going to punch them all in the stomach because I'm the king. He says the world will hate you and you will mourn, and they will hate me, and I will leave, and it will be really, really hard. These poor guys, can you imagine? Like, you've given your whole life for over three years to this mission, this cause, and it finally looks like it's coming together the way you hoped it would, and then your leader says, actually, it's going to be really rough from here. There's going to be a lot of sorrow. And so it makes sense that they respond the way they initially do by going like, wait, 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 what do you mean a little while and you're going away and you're coming back? What does that mean? What do you mean a little while? Like tomorrow? Is, is the kingdom coming tomorrow instead of tonight? Okay, we can wait till tomorrow. That's fine. They want to know the details. Okay, clearly something's going to happen. That's fine. We're in, Jesus. We're totally in. Would you just tell us, like, how to prepare? Like, how do I get ready for this thing that's going to happen? How do I, like, make sense of all of this so I'm sort of braced against the reality and I can sort of make it through? Jesus, would you, would you tell me the exact logistics of how this is going to go down? 
How hard is it going to be? How long is it going to be hard? What do I need to do to get through it without really feeling that pain all the way through? And I, I do the same thing all the time. When I sense Jesus is asking me to do something hard or when I sense that, that there's some difficulty coming, that sort of the sun is setting for a little bit, I start to clench, embrace myself, and I start to sort of come to God and say, God, 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 okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to solve this? I need to solve this. I need to fix this. I need to get through it as fast as I can. What do I need to do? Will you explain to me how, how I can uh, work, sort of arrange the circumstances such that it might be like hard in theory, but it's not really like what I would call true suffering. I can sort of make it through and pretty soon, pretty fast, in a little while, like you said, we're going to get through to something much, much better and it's going to be a lot easier from here. Right, Jesus? Right? And it makes sense that his disciples in their bewilderment are just like, Jesus, no, 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 we, we can't let go of this other dream. We can't let go of this other picture of what the kingdom of God looks like. We can't let go of this. Would you, would you explain it to us a little more? So he starts to talk more, like verse 20 and onward, he starts to talk more about, um, about this suffering they're going to go through. And he tries to, to give it to them really plainly. Listen to this from verse 20. Jesus says, I say to you, you will weep and lament while the world rejoices. Well, that doesn't sound so good. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. See, Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. He says, two things are going to happen, and they are both going to be very real for you. One is, you're going to be sorrowful. You're going to have trouble. But it will come with joy. Yeah, it's not like you're going to get to skate above the suffering and the pain and the difficulty, but, but it will come with joy. Your sorrow will turn to joy. In fact, he gives us this metaphor. When a woman is giving birth, she is sorrowful because the hour has come, and it hurts. It hurts. But when she is delivered, has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. He's saying there's going to be two things going on. There's going to be the suffering, and there's going to be this joy and both things are going to be very real for you. Can you imagine if a woman was giving birth and said, you know what, I don't want to go through the pain of delivering this child into the world. I think I'll just, I think I'll just stop this. I think I'll just, she doesn't really have that option, right? And what Jesus is saying is likewise, when we try to, to disconnect from the pain of what's coming, the difficulty of what's coming, what we're actually doing is disengaging with a process that ultimately brings about a joy. And not just any joy, but he says the joy outweighs the pain. She no longer remembers her suffering because of the joy at having delivered this human being into the world. And he's saying the process, if you will engage in it, the process is painful. That is real. And the joy that is included in the deal far outweighs, is far greater, is far more lasting than the suffering you will have to endure. Can you imagine being in this room and just trying to wrap your head around what he's saying? No, Jesus, now is the time of triumph. Now is the time of victory. Jesus, I was promised a good life. I deserve better. We all deserve better than this. Jesus, when is the world just going to be good again? We just want the world to be good again. And Jesus says, no, there, there will be pain. But if you can walk through it, 
if you can engage through it, if you can actually be faithful through the process of delivery, the joy you will find will outweigh the pain to such a degree that the pain will seem like it was never there. We'll compensate for it entirely. So Jesus starts to unpack this. He says in verse 22, so now, or so also, you will have sorrow just like the woman, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. He's saying not only is this joy greater, bigger, more real than the suffering you're about to endure, but the joy is the thing that's going to last. The joy is going to be the truth of your existence forever. What he's saying is the joy that we experience even as we walk through suffering with Jesus is actually the truth of our existence. It's actually the real thing. It's actually the thing that that will last and endure beyond every pain and suffering that comes our way. He's talking about this incredible, incredible kind of resilience. Not only do we clench and and white knuckle and just barely hang on and somehow get through suffering, he says, no, we are people who do engage with the pain and the suffering, but it actually comes with great joy, and a joy that's so great that it's lasting, a joy that's so great that it outweighs the pain and the suffering. He's talking about some kind of resilience that most of us have barely scratched the surface of. See, a lot of times when I come to Jesus, I'm really interested in, Jesus, how can you fix my problems? And sometimes they're legit problems. Most of the time, they're just like complaints. But sometimes they're legit problems. It's like, no, I really have this suffering and this pain in my life. Somebody I love is hurting. Jesus, help. Sometimes they're legit problems like, no, Jesus, I have this really intense struggle with sin or with insecurity, or whatever it is, Jesus, help. These are real problems. And I come to him and I say, would you help me with my problems? And I want to just be clear, that is good. Jesus does offer healing. Jesus does offer tools and helps to get through some of life's most painful, difficult things. Jesus is the hope for change. Jesus is our hope for change. But if that's all he came to offer... If, if we sort of have this picture of Jesus that that is all the gospel is about, is fixing the problems, we might actually be missing something. The artist Makoto Fujimura calls this plumbing theology. And what he means is so often we can come to the Bible and to Jesus and to church and we know that the pipes are leaky. We know the pipes in our lives are leaky and our souls are leaky, the world's pipes are leaky, it's all just not properly working. And so we come to Jesus, and we come to church, and we come to the Bible, and we're saying, hey, could you give me a tool? Show me how to use it. I'll go home and fix the pipes as best I can. Then I'll come back the next week, and I'll get a new tool, and you'll tell me how to use that tool, and I'll go back and I'll fix the pipes that week. And this is like, this is something Jesus, I think, is happy to do. I think Jesus is happy to help us have real practical solutions to our real life problems. But if that is all we're doing, I think we might be missing something. Because so far in this passage that that Dave just read for us, we have not seen Jesus once offer to solve the problem. He said, I want to give you something that's bigger and of of a different kind than your suffering and your issues and your sorrows and your difficulties. 
I want to give you something that is deeper, something that is truer, something that is more lasting. Yes, I'll help you day by day in the minutia of life as you face all these different problems and you have all these different issues and you have all these different things to sort out. I will help you. And I actually want to impart to you something more, something better, something bigger. Jesus is talking about this sort of other way of being, this way of being where sorrow turns to joy, this other way of being where we experience blessing no matter what. See, oftentimes when we talk about blessing, when I talk about blessing as a Christian, what I mean is good stuff happening to me. I've been blessed. Good stuff happened to me. When Jesus talks about blessing, he he actually tends to talk about blessing as something that we experience no matter what is happening to me. Let's look at um, a very famous passage of blessings that Jesus gives us, the Beatitudes in in Matthew chapter 5. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first thing Jesus says when he's about to sit down and say, let me explain to you what the kingdom of God means, what I'm all about, what it means to know God. This is his first thing that he says. This is Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus starts to bless all these people. And there's a lot of different interpretations of how we read this passage. Let me share with you the one that has made the most sense to me. I get this mostly from a guy named Dallas Willard, if you've heard that name. If you haven't, that's no big deal. But he talks about the Beatitudes this way. He says, Jesus is sitting down on a mountainside with a bunch of people, and these people are riffraff. These people are the rabble. These people are the plebeians. They're all gathering around him, and they're ordinary kind of salt-of-the-earth people, but also kind of like broken people, very impoverished people. Um, some of them are, are outright outcasts in society. And, and, and Dallas Willard says, Jesus is looking around, and he's picking up examples from the crowd. He's saying, oh, I see people here. They're, they're poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What means to be bankrupt? It means to be totally bankrupt of all inner joy, resilience, life, just empty. I'm just done. And not in a cute way. I'm just done. It means to be total, to have nothing to give spiritually, right? I'm poor in spirit. I have no, no qualifications. I don't even actually have a good moral record. I might be morally bankrupt. That's included. It says you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. That seems a bit odd. And, and he says you're blessed if you mourn. He says when you grieve, when you're weeping, when you're crying, you're blessed. When you're weak, when, sorry, when you're meek, which is, which is weak. When you're, when you're that person in the corner who's so insecure and meek and you're just, I don't even know if I can engage in the conversation and I just have so much social anxiety, so I'm just going to sort of keep myself to myself. When you hunger and thirst 
for righteousness, which might at first sound like an admirable thing, or like a, like a desirable thing, but to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to just hunger and thirst and wish things were right because you know that they're not. I have been done wrong against. I hunger and thirst for it to be made right. I know that I have done wrong. I hunger and thirst for the pieces to be put back together in my soul. I am aching. I am longing. And as we go through these, we start to see that what Jesus is describing is not necessarily desirable conditions. He's not saying to us, hey, you should be poor in spirit. Hey, why don't you try mourning? Hey, I've got a great life hack for you. Go ahead and be meek. What he's saying is, look at these broken people around me. Their, their souls are bankrupt. They, they can't even speak up in a crowd because they're so meek. They mourn. They weep. They're aching for things to be put right because they have been cast down all their life long again and again. They're the sort of people who don't have a choice but to offer mercy. They're the sort of people who know what life is like on the lower end of the scale, and so they just try to link arms, offer mercy to one another, and carry through. They have this condition called pure in heart where everything they see within and without is never quite good enough because I have a purity in mind that's beyond what I can achieve and beyond what the world around me is doing. They're the peacemakers, the people who are getting shot at from both directions. These are the people Jesus is seeing around them. And what does he do? He says, hey, by the way, you're blessed. You're blessed. Why are you blessed? Well, you're blessed when you're poor in spirit because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're not blessed because your, your soul is bankrupt. You're not blessed because your, your heart is shriveled and because you've done things that have just left you totally morally bankrupt. You're blessed because the kingdom is here. You're blessed because Jesus has come. You're blessed because God is with you. Blessed are you who mourn, not because of your tears, in spite of your tears. Why? Because when the kingdom comes, you will receive comfort. Blessed are you when you're meek, when you're just absolutely cast down, you can't even lift up your eyes, you are meek, not because of that condition, but because Jesus has come and started making promises to you and said, you will inherit the earth. Jesus starts to bless people who, from our human perspective, look absolutely cursed. Jesus starts to bless people who are in troubling, troubling situations. This is what Jesus talks about when he talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about this inner resilience, this inner okayness, this inner joy that begins to bear people up through the worst that life has to offer. And he talks about it over and over and over all through the Gospels. He talks about it as a spring of water welling up from within us to eternal life. 
He tells us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of flesh and blood, but it is within us that for now, until the kingdom comes in fullness and in power, we find this place of blessing, this place of resilience, this place of great joy, somewhere within our own souls, because, in spite of whatever is happening in our lives or in the world around us. He tells us, just like a chapter before where we were reading in John, he tells us that God the Father and Jesus himself have actually come to take up residence in our souls because we are now the place of the kingdom of God. We are where heaven and earth overlap, which means in this world where things still go badly, where we still suffer, where we still have difficulty, where we struggle, where we're not sure if we can make it through, we have this inner well of inexhaustible resources of joy, of peace, of comfort, or what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. He talks about this all the way through this upper room discourse when he's in the upper room with his disciples. In John 13, he calls it the love with which I have loved you. In John 14, he calls it my peace that I'd like to leave with you. In John 15, he calls it communion or union or abiding. I'm gonna come and make my home in you. In John 16, talks about it in very explicit terms as just the Holy Spirit who is with you. In John 17, where we'll get to next week, he talks about it as like knowing God and being known by God and being one as Jesus and the Father are one. What he's trying to express is that there is this place of heaven and earth overlap that comes to dwell inside the soul of the believer that is this inexhaustible, unassailable place where peace, where love, where the kingdom resides, whatever else might be happening. My favorite song in the world, you guys want to know my favorite song? My favorite song, uh, which whenever like, I travel anywhere, I'll, like, I'll sing it like in a, in a cathedral or like on top of a mountain or whatever, because it's just like my favorite song and I try to sing it all over the world. Uh, it's called How Can I Keep From Singing? Anyone know this song? It's a great, it's a great song. It's an old hymn. And, uh, and there's a great line in it that says, no storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging. I'm really grateful that they put in that word inmost, inmost calm. Sometimes the storms can shake my outer calm. Sometimes I'm freaking out, just to be honest. But when I remember what Jesus has done in me, in my inner being, I remember that there is a space inside me where the kingdom has already come, where God dwells through the power of the Spirit, where I have an inexhaustible well of resilience, where I can know that even if the world around me collapses, even if my world falls apart, I can turn to this place where I know that there is peace, where the kingdom has come, where all is well. This is why Jesus can say to his disciples, you will weep, you will mourn, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to such joy that it will outlast and overshadow all the pain that you're about to go through. That's a powerful promise. That's a really powerful promise. See, I think for me, I often go to Jesus and I say, I have a list of problems I'd like you to solve. And Jesus goes, I am really, truly interested in talking to you about that. I really am. But first, I'd like to help you find this place 
of being okay, whatever the circumstances are, of finding joy even when life hurts, of finding peace even when everything around you is chaos. See, Jesus ends this section very famously by saying that I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I love that. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Anybody want some peace? I do. Man, I need some peace. Have you, have you seen what life looks like these days? Whew, I need some peace. I've got some, I've got some inner, battle, inner battles and external battles that I really need some peace about. But notice what he says. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. It doesn't necessarily mean that my outer world is suddenly going to look awesome. It doesn't necessarily mean that my inner struggles are suddenly going to be taken care of. What it means is if when I come to Christ, when I choose to be aware of his presence, when I descend into my own soul to that place where the kingdom of God has already been initiated, when I come into his presence, I have peace. And and it doesn't matter what's going on doesn't matter what, what else might be happening. And he's happy to talk with me about those things, but first he wants me to remember where I truly live in the kingdom of God with him. And he says this, in this world you will have tribulation. Thank you for that, Jesus. Re- really appreciate that. That's really a helpful promise. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This has always baffled me. It's always encouraged me and baffled me. I've been like, yes trouble but Jesus has overcome the world and then I'm always like my second thought is always what does that mean does it mean like the further I follow Jesus the the less bad stuff seems to be happening to me does it mean the further I follow Jesus the the less uh the hard the world is I, I, I don't know I don't I don't think it means that certainly as I follow Jesus um I am less and less inclined to uh sabotage my own life for sure Surely, as I follow Jesus, um, I do have a sense of, like, belonging that can heal some of the insecurity that I live with day in and day out. But I don't know that that's really what he means when he says, I have overcome the world. What does it mean to overcome? I think it means to be stronger than, right? To be stronger than. To, to be able to, um, to sort of put the thing you're overcoming in its place. Uh, to, to, to maybe be affected by something, but ultimately to, to be able to rise up over it. And Jesus is saying, well, the world, is, is, it's, it's a scary place. It's, it's kind of a bully, and it, it actually is carrying out a uh, specific intentional assault on you because the world is a place occupied by the enemy. So um, the, world, the world is quite scary, and Jesus is saying, well, I'm, but I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I put the world in its place. I tell the enemy where to get off. I tell him where the boundaries are and where he may go no further. I have authority over the world. As dark and scary and painful and difficult and as many issues as are coming, I have authority over the world. 
This is what Jesus says after he's raised from the dead. He says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Really, Jesus? Really? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you? Have you seen the things going on in heaven and on earth? Have you seen the things going on spiritually and physically all around us? Really, Jesus? You have all authority in heaven and on earth? And Jesus is saying, yes. Because my kingdom, you're blessed, remember, not because you're poor in spirit. You're blessed when you're poor in spirit because my kingdom is here. And it will come in fullness and in power. And your sorrow will turn to joy in a big capital J, joy way. It really will. Because the kingdom one day will not just be within you. It will be a matter of flesh and blood. It will be in the world around you. And we will live with the king in his perfect kingdom for all eternity. We know this is true. And in the meantime, that kingdom exists, like Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, within you. And whatever is happening, whatever failure, brokenness is happening around me, whatever brokenness is happening within me, I have permission, not just permission, but a mandate from Jesus to go and abide in that place, to return to that place and say, no one can take this joy from me. This is where my Jesus dwells. This is where he is Lord. This is where everything that will come in fullness has already begun. And all the things he talks about in the Beatitudes of comfort, I love when he describes it as seeing God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will see God. Or sorry, the pure in heart, they will see God. Or the the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. And any time, whatever's happening within me or outside of me, I can return to this place and I can see God. I can live as his child. I can receive his peace. So when Jesus says, I give you my peace, he's not saying, hey, I'm going to make peace on the earth just yet. Oh, he will. Isaiah says that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He uses the word government there on purpose because there will come a time when Jesus is the actual king of the actual earth and his peace will never end. But when Jesus says, I give you my peace in this passage, what he's saying is, I'm giving you that now as an inner reality, even as you navigate the outer realities of the world. I think this is what Jesus means when he talks about living in the kingdom of God. It's so tricky, because what I'm looking for is the kingdom to come like the actual like flesh and blood kingdom of God to come in fullness and in power. And that makes sense. That's what we're made for. But it's so tricky to remember that whatever sorrows and sufferings I'm facing, even when it seems like um, things aren't going down the way I want them to and Jesus isn't coming through the way I want him to, um, even in those moments, so important to remember that Jesus has already given me the abundance of the kingdom. And that I can suffer with joy. I can walk through anxiety with peace. I can mourn with comfort. And these things can exist together as the joy begins to well up, begins to grow, and outweigh all the suffering that we might face. This is the resilience Jesus has given us. 
Not that we would walk above the world and totally float over the suffering, but that as we wade through it, we would experience the inner resilience welling up, as he says, to eternal life, through the joy of his spirit, the comfort of his presence, the healing of his being, the peace of walking with him. I want that. I really want that. And I think also, as a side note, ben, the band can come up here. Um, I'm finishing up. But uh, as a side note, I think uh, not only do I want that, I think this might be what the world needs. Is people who don't deny that the world is broken, but are still okay. I think the, the, that Christians sometimes get a bad rap for, for one of two things. Either we look just like everybody else and we're freaking out just like everybody else and we're falling apart just like everybody else, or we go to the opposite and we just pretend like everything's okay. Jesus resists both of those extremes and he says, no, 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 we, we do experience, we walk through the hardship, the pain and the suffering of the world, but with such an inner calm and resilience that comes from the growing kingdom inside of us that it begins to look like heaven on earth. I think that's what the world needs. When they walk into church on Sunday morning or when they meet us in the streets, I think that's what the world needs. First is not just tools to fix their problems. I think first what they need is that presence of God that brings the kingdom here and now even in the midst of our suffering. So in a moment, we're gonna take communion. Talk about bringing the kingdom in the midst of suffering. Jesus saw the broken world for what it was. He saw just how lost, just how evil, just how angry people were. He saw just how broken and sinful and messed up things had become. And instead of watching from a distance, he said, I'd like to go sacrifice myself for those people. I'd like to go change them by offering the greatest thing I can for them. And when we think about suffering mingled with joy and the joy triumphing in the end, is there any better place to look than the cross of Jesus? Where suffering came, deep, deep anguish, pain on a physical and spiritual level that no human being before or since has ever experienced. And yet, it bought our redemption, paid for our access into the kingdom of God, and it didn't end in death. It ended in his resurrection. So this morning as we take communion, I invite you, uh, if you haven't ever received that um, offer from Jesus, to walk with him, to experience his spirit within you, to experience that resilience of the kingdom. This would be a good moment to do that. If you're not feeling that, um, don't worry. No one will look weird at you if you sit in your seats. For those of us who have uh, experienced that, it's just a chance for us to renew our understanding and our commitment to this picture of what life in the world looks like. Jesus says this is the pattern. If you want to follow me, you pick up your cross and you carry it. But for Jesus, carrying the cross is not just a matter of sorrow and pain, and that's the end of the story. For Jesus, carrying the cross is a matter of joy mingled with suffering, ultimately yielding resurrection life. 
So whatever you might be going through, if, if you have a, a sense that um, Jesus might be calling you to trust him in the midst of the pain, instead of just asking him to solve the pain, this would be a great moment just to receive that from him, to receive that and to choose to trust him. Jesus, I trust in you. I'm ready to follow your pattern of the cross. Or maybe you're in a situation that feels quite hopeless, to be honest. Sometimes I have the sense, I was, I've told Simon a few times lately, sometimes I have the sense that when we come to church, we're just trying to make it to Tuesday. Like, just help me make it to Tuesday. And perhaps, um, perhaps that Tuesday even feels like a long way away. Perhaps it feels quite hopeless. The cross is also where we look not only to see what the pattern of suffering and joy looks like, but to know that resurrection comes in the morning. If you need to receive that from Jesus this morning, this is a great place to do that. As we take the, the bread, which represents his broken body for us, and the juice, which represents the blood of the new covenant that God has made with us. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, have the tables open for communion. Gluten-free is on this side, if you need that. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that, um, thank you, that you don't deny the pain of existence. Thank you also that you don't try to give us easy fixes to difficult problems. But thank you that you give us more than enough through the resilience you've imparted to us by your spirit. Thank you for giving us your peace. Thank you for dwelling within us with the Father. Jesus, we trust that whatever is going on in our world, in our life, whatever battles we're facing in our own souls, that the kingdom of God has come and that as we live into it, we do experience that resilience, that joy, that peace, that comfort, even in the midst of our suffering. Jesus, we turn there first before we start brainstorming solutions to our problems. We turn to our inner sense of we're okay because God is good and God is with me. And I know in that place, then, then you can begin to work with us on the details. We love you, Jesus. We trust you. Thank you for overcoming the world. We don't have to fear. Thank you for overcoming the world. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.